You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Bratzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? Welcome to the Senior Pastor Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rawlings, the teaching pastor at Christ Community Church, and I am joined, as always, well, by three of our four uh, typical hosts. We're joined by Bob Russell, the founding pastor of Southeast Christian Church here in Louisville, Kentucky, and also doing Bob Russell Ministries, and Ken Eidelman, who is the former president of Ozark Christian College and the senior pastor at uh, Crossroads Christian Church, and also now a vice president at Solomon Foundation, and Scott Rawlings, the founding pastor of Christ Community Church in Portsmouth, Ohio, and a world traveler thanks to the steel industry for 20-some years. But Don Wilson couldn't be with us today. Um, Shame on him, but that's all right. Uh, We really just only miss Sue. Um, But we're going to talk about today, and I've been very flattered by the comments and, and, and so forth, the different young pastors listening to this podcast and and garnering wisdom from these guys. Well, we're in a post-COVID age, and I was talking to Bob earlier. Uh, one of my favorite leadership books is The Power of Habit, which basically just kind of looks at Jack Welch's model of leadership back in the late 90s when he kind of took GE to the top of uh, the corporate ladder. And one of the things that they asked Jack Welch was, what do you spend the most of your time doing? And he said, I spend 80% of my time teaching my employees habits, getting them into a habit. And most leadership experts say it takes at least 90 days to develop a habit. Well, the government has developed habits (laughs) with the lockdown, which is that people are staying home. And so What do we do now that the pandemic is over to get them back in person, in our congregations, you know, among our people? And what do we do um, to do that? Do you guys have any suggestions, ideas? Bob, what do you think? Well, first of all, you see the wisdom of God's word when Hebrews 10 says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together Mm -hmm. as the manner of some is, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, God established some habits all the way back in the Old Testament with the people taking a Sabbath. And in the New Testament, he intended it to be uh, obviously a weekly habit that we gather uh, together with other Christians and observe the Lord's Supper and worship. I can remember when I was a boy Uh, Some churches would consider not having services on a particular Sunday night and or once in a while on Sunday morning. And my mother and dad said, no, no, uh, (laughs) we're commanded to meet together. And you know what? People will get out of the habit. 
And when we got ambushed by the uh, government with the COVID lockdowns, and I've got a lot to (laughs) think about that, (laughs) but we were originally told it was only going to be for two or three weeks until we uh, stopped the curve. And it wound up for, in, in some cases, to be months. And people did get out of the habit. I'll say one more thing and then let Ken and Scott comment, but I think we have to accept that maybe the Lord used this to purge the church a little bit. In Matthew 13, when Jesus told the parable of the sower and the seed, he said some seed's going to fall on shallow soil, and some seed's going to fall on thorny soil. It'll appear for a little while, but when the pressure comes or the appeal of the world comes, it's going to vanish away. And I know preachers who have been devastated by some of the people who have not returned. But if they haven't returned by this time, I think there comes a time when we shake the dust off our feet and say, okay, we've given as much attention as we can trying to reclaim these. It's between them and the Lord now. We're going to go on to the next city or on to the next family and give our attention to the next group and attention to evangelism. Yeah, I, I want to before I go to Ken, Bob. I, I you do mentor a lot of you know pastors, and through your your ministry, and so I know this has come up, and I, I think it's okay to say to ministers, especially young ministers who are new to this, it's okay to be kind of hurt that people don't come back, that they leave. It's not just that they're hurt that people don't come back; they're hurt by the people. Yeah. don't come back because they're people they thought were close friends. Right. They've been in these people's homes. These people were active in the church. And all of a sudden, they got out of the habit, and their commitment to the Lord wasn't as strong as it should have been, and they're not returning. And naturally, the preacher is hurt by that. But I tell them, you can't take that personally. In every situation, when you start climbing a mountain and you're building a church, a healthy church, the people who are there with you at the top of the mountain are not the very same people who started at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And the Lord brings some other people along the way to help replenish those. But uh, we have to accept uh, that we're in the numbers business on a right. occasion, and some of the numbers are going to fall away. Because elders look at the preaching minister and go, where, where are the numbers? They, they put the pressure on them, right? Yeah, but, but I think we have to school our church to to accept there are some people who are never going to return. And I, I think it's wise to write a letter to or to make a phone call to these people and say, you know what, you know you're welcome to come back anytime, but we're having a special day, welcome back day, and after that we're not going to pursue anybody. Or even to, to a greater extent, say, we're going to start a new membership role. We mm. did that once here at Southeast. We said as of beginning 2006, nobody's wow. a member. We're going to re-enlist. And if you want to be a member, re-enlist. If you don't care enough to take the time to re-enlist, to come back to church, to give an offering, then we're going to have to conclude that you don't want to be a part of the church. Mm. Mm. Powerful words. Ken, what do you think? Well, you know, the trend... Uh, faithful church attendance has been in decline prior to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the person who is considered to be a faithful attender comes maybe once or twice a month. Yeah. And that was not the case when I was a young man growing up in the church. I became a Christian at age 10. And, and, um, and my dad and mother, dad was 38, mother was 36. They, they, uh, were baptized the same time I was, so we kind of grew up together in the Lord. 
and uh, and it changed our whole schedule, our re- whole routine. And uh, I mean, we we were there Sunday morning, Sunday school, uh, morning worship, Sunday evening, uh, youth group, and evening worship. And I was I was a teenager, and I was in prayer meeting on Wednesday night, and right with uh, thirty senior adults, and um, and we just had that that as a value, you know, f- the fellowship and and uh, and just the community life of of the church was very different, and um, and so the pandemic was kind of a hammer blow that. Uh, that, that kind of uh, emphasized, I think, in the minds of people that uh, they were commanded by the government or, or directed by the government not to assemble. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave them um, an excuse for not attending at all. So you go from, from a declining pattern to nothing, no assemblies, and that's that, that, that has been damaging to uh, the faith of a lot of people and the resolve of a lot of people. The road kind of has divided here between mm-hmm. convenience and commitment, and uh, and I think what you're seeing is the people who are all in, who are really committed uh, to lordship, uh, to the to lordship of Christ, and and the the value of the church. They are all in, and uh, and I think in the long run that 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 refining may serve the church well in the next season. I meet with men on Thursday mornings and Friday mornings every week. And I've never seen stronger commitment. They're sold out. And that wasn't true pre-COVID. You know, there were half mm. a dozen, eight of us on Friday morning. Now this morning, 7 o'clock this morning, 30, 35 of us. Mm. And there's some, so there's some hardcore discipleship that I think is mm. happening even though the overall numbers um, in the assemblies of church, although this past weekend at um, Christmas or Easter weekend, I could not believe the attendances that, yeah. that I observed at our church southeast. So I, I just I see a refining process, and uh, I guess it's the optimist in me mm-hmm. that wants to believe that that this refining is going to ultimately result in greater impact. You know, Ken, when, when the Bible says where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And as the world has got worse, I think I think you're right. The, the Christian people are deeper in some respects than they were when I was growing up. When Jesus told the parable about the weeds in the field, mm-hmm. he said she would go out and pull up the weeds. No, let the weeds and the grain grow together and we'll separate them and harvest. And I think the, the grain is, is growing, the positive fruit as, as the weeds grow along with them. And so I think in some ways, uh, Christian people are stronger than they were maybe 40, 50 years ago. Yeah. So if I before I kick it over to Dad, if I hear you too correctly, what you're saying, especially to the number of young pastors that listen to this podcast, is be patient. Be faithful and be patient. You know, people have left, people aren't coming back, but there is an opportunity here to be even stronger as a church. I also think we need to focus on discipleship 
and deepening people and not so much on being seeker-friendly. Mm. I think the church of the, of the past could do its best to try to make the seeker feel comfortable, but the breach is so wide today, we need to present a contrast to the world. And the, the mm. world needs to see people from the church being distinctive because they're, they're looking around and they're saying, this, this world's philosophy isn't working. And if they could right. see uh, Christian people are happy and deeper and they come into church and they sense something distinctive, I think they're going to be more attracted to that than they were us trying to see how close we can be to the edge of the world. I'm concerned about pastors that are listening to this podcast right now who've invested 10 years of leadership ministry in a local church. The pandemic happens, and suddenly that 10 years that they've invested looks like it's just gone. Right. And they're back to where they were 10 years ago. They're starting over. That can be tremendously discouraging, I'm sure. Especially when the average church is 60 to 80 people in America. And then all of a sudden you come back after the pandemic and you've got 10, 20 people there. And, and you know, I just believe uh, the enemy of our souls uses discouragement. And if he can't steal our salvation, he'll steal the joy of our salvation. And I think one of the things we've got to do as church leaders right now is uh, recover our hope in, in Jesus and in the promises of of scripture and we've got to do what Bob suggested. We've got to put our heads down, drive into this and lead on and not be victimized Dis- by discouragement. Rediscover we'll let you talk here in a second, Scott. Uh, <laughs> but rediscover joy. Mm, if the preacher yes. is down, the the mood of the leader is the mood of the team. And the preacher and young preachers celebrate victories. Talk about what's good. Yep. Tell the people why you're proud of them rather than moping around about who's not here and attendance isn't what it used to be. Uh, the, the people need to feel that, that they're accomplishing something for God. And celebrate the little victories. Be joyful to yourself. Now, once in a while, you can get in the pulpit and say, boy, I've had a really rough week. Please pray. And people rally, to, but not very often. Most of the time, you better step in that pulpit and say, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. And let's go on from here. Mm. I preached in Mount Pulaski, Illinois. We had a a church, uh, it was a Lutheran church in town, and they had a lighted bulletin board out front that always had the words on it, be aglow with the Spirit. It was up there for at least two years. and uh, But the, the pastor of that church was the most hangdog guy <laughs> in, the, in the little community of 1,800 people. And I thought, he is bad advertising for being aglow with the Spirit. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, before we get to uh, my dad, Scott Rawlings, take a brief break to hear from our sponsors. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy. We focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries have been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. 
please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? All right, Scott, Dad, you've been doing this since the late 50s. Um, you've seen evangelistic, you know, trends come and go. And here we are post-pandemic. The first real large pandemic we had in our country since the Spanish flu, which was before you were, long before you were born. And so what do you think? Oh, I was listening to these two fellows wax eloquent <laughs> in their youthful ignorance. And uh, <laughs> I was thinking what needed to be said, you know, during this, during this time. And because uh, Ken was talking about when he was a kid, but that was easy then because we, we did just like he did. We went Sunday school on Sunday morning, mm. church then. And Sunday night we had youth group, and then, then we had the church service. Mm-hmm. And Wednesday night we were there faithfully because my parents had a set had a, made a deal with us. If you guys will be, and there were several of us who would come to a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, then we got the car to go to Lucky Buck Night at Aberdeen at the picture <laughs> show on Thursday night. And so, I mean, we showed up. Because your uh, parents let you go to movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, they didn't know what kind, but <laughs> but they used to say, "Here comes that bunch from Germantown," because we had this old Model A Ford, and you could use a hammer and hit the fender and wouldn't dent it. So we had them sitting on the fender. We had them sat, hanging on the running board. We'd have twelve or fifteen, with, you know, that would go in for a dollar. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a real winning deal. So there are ways of circumventing these difficulties. <laughs> you just have to be a little creative. I was kind of, uh, how would I say this? Uh, I was following Bob in the scripture there. And he, like so many of these young preachers, they, they, they pick up one passage and then they cherry pick, you know. And, and he did that because he left off the part that John, that, uh, John the Baptist would have used. Because just as soon as in the 10th chapter of, of Hebrews, just as soon as he said, you know, mm-hmm. don't forsake assembling themselves together as a man or some is, and, you know, a whole bunch more as you see that day appearing, then he goes on and, and really jumps on them with both feet. I mean, it's tough talk when he follows that up. He says specifically, and if, and I don't know what kind of condition that if is there, but I suspect it's... Uh, but I don't know, I don't have Greek text in front of me, but he said, but if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice of it. And yet, I don't have time to put that in, in mm-hmm. context with what was going on there. And then he ends up by saying in verse 31, it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And one of the greatest sermons ever preached was used that as a text. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards. And, and I, I, I suspect that those of us who have lived in this generation where we were it goes back to really in the Christian churches where we all have our background. Paul Benjamin probably did as much among our people of, of setting up church growth and how you do it and so on and so forth. And we all bought into that as a good thing. It wasn't bad, but at the same time, we sacrificed what Bob was talking about, the developing of strong disciples. You just can't do both well at the same time unless you really got a good staff. Mm-hmm. And, and you had a good staff here, I think, one of the best in the country here at Southeast. And, um, but it's really difficult, and it still is. Now, you're talking about the people that aren't at church who have been watching through their toes. Many right. of them have been on a Sunday morning, and, and they were 
uh, and, and some of these people are still supporting the church, at least at Christ. Community. Yeah, we get tithes from we, them, but we get checks from them. And so I have, without telling you, birds, I got on the phone and I started calling each one of them. You know, what's going on? Would you would you accept a visit? And you know what they said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd like to see you because they're lonely. Many of them are my age and mm-hmm. are close to it, and and they've been in a in a jail cell for two or three, four years. They're lonely, and I think if we got just get set up a supper, everybody who will help us go visit and go, they already know we're coming. Knock on the door, say, "Hey, can we get you back to church?" and let them know what the scripture says. There's a mandate here to get your fanny back in the seats, and I I think if we do that, we'll not get them all. Some of them are gone. Yeah, they're, that's just the way it is. As you, I think he clearly said they're they're goners, and I don't think they'll ever be back. Unless we start giving away money like the government, then show up for that. But, <laughs> but other than that, I, I just think they're gone, you yep. know, and they're falling into the hands of an angry God, and we need to tell them that as kindly but as firmly as possible. In retrospect, and I know this is somewhat controversial, but I think we generally made a mistake dismissing church. Oh, I do too. We, yeah. the, first, the first question that was asked was, how is this going to be perceived by the community. If we continue to meet, the community is going to think we're doing the unloving thing. We're going to be criticized a lot. And uh, then we go to Romans 13 about obeying the government. But the first question, when we have decisions, what does God want us to do here? What has God commanded us to do? Then how are people going to perceive this? How can we adjust it in Mm -hmm. such a way that it's going to be received well? But we didn't ask the first question. We skipped right over it. That passage you just read in, in Hebrews 10 about don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And I, I got to hand it to John MacArthur and some of those guys who continued to meet and yeah, said, God we've got to obey God, not man. And if every church would have done that, uh, we got would have got a lot of criticism. But in retrospect, I think we would have been stronger. I would even go so far as to say that I think elders and pastors need to get together and plan what they're going to do when this happens again. Because I think we're going to have another shutdown in the future. It may not be pandemic. It may be for global warming or for electricity shortage or whatever. And I think if we don't make an advanced decision on how we're going to react, we'll buckle under it again. Mm-hmm. And I think preachers ought to band together in communities and say, here's what we're going to do if the government comes at us again. And Send a letter to the governor. Say, we made a mistake the last time shutting down. We're not going to do that again because we're commanded in God's word not to forsake ourselves, the assembling of ourselves together. And as a result, we've really hurt the church, and the government wasn't totally honest about the length of time, and so hmm. we're, we're going to be obedient to God next time. I, You know, Bob, I, I agree with I, In retrospect, we shut down for a few months, I think about three, wasn't it? Yeah, about three months, you know, April to July <laughs> or something like that. And at the time, the way I looked at it was I looked at it as Governor DeWine in Ohio, who I like. He's a, he's a personal friend. And but Governor DeWine said, I'm not shutting down the churches. I'm just saying you can't have more than 10 people in a building at a time. Well, you're shutting down the churches. That, that's what you're doing. What am I supposed to do? You know, hand out deli numbers for people to like a lottery who can come in and worship. And so. At the time, I looked at it as a Romans issue, and said, okay, this is the government says this, we're going to go along. In retrospect, it was a huge mistake on my part. I wish we had just said, Governor DeWine, God bless you and keep you. You've stood up for life. You've done a number of wonderful things, but 
no, we're going to keep meeting. I, I wonder if we could be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves and have a contingency plan for a few weeks and have the church divided up and say, if there is another shutdown, 10 of you are going to be in this house, 10 of you in here, 15 here. Let's have an advanced plan. Yeah, and then we'll decide what we're going to do about coming back together so we don't hit the panic button. But so knowing what we know now, and I know this is controversial, but it's it's you can see it on the CDC website. Okay, masks didn't work. You weren't going to get COVID from touch. It's an aerosol. Uh, the six feet thing was picked basically at random uh, by the CDC. They were debating 36 feet, six feet. Well, six feet so we won't scare people. Well, where's the science behind it? We don't have it. And, you know, it, it was all random. It was all arbitrary. And the simple fact was that, you know, unless you had a comorbidity factor, you weren't at risk for death. And, and so it, it was an overreach, and I made a huge mistake by shutting down the church for three months. I shouldn't have done it. And you're right. We need to be prepared because it, it, it could very well happen again. Here's the thing, Matt. We, we, have never, we didn't have a precedent for this. It was unprecedented. Yeah, you have to go back to the Spanish flu 100 years ago. Right. And even then, I I wonder if there was a denial of assembly. No, there wasn't. We were all broadsided by it. We had no precedent for it. Mm -hmm. And we were all caught our seeker sensitivity. We wanted to get along in the community. Right. And that there was that tension. And then on the other side, our faithfulness to, to Hebrews 10... And, uh, and it was, of course, very divisive, too. There were yep. some people who thought you should have shut down sooner or longer. There were others who said you should Oh, shouldn't. I got messages from both sides, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Very divisive. Yep. And then the mask, to mask, not to mask, yep. more division, social distance uh, or, or not. All these issues were divisive. And I think that's been a factor in the decline in people coming back to church sure. because there's been so much rancor and division, even in in Christian circles. Yeah. But now we have a precedent, and we've been, we've been able to step back and look more objectively at this, and hopefully we'll address it with God's wisdom in the future. And I, I don't think you'll see churches just falling into line with government. There's been a lot of disillusionment with the American Medical Association yep. and, and... The WHO and... Exactly. Yeah. Dad, what do you think? In retrospect, we should have stayed open, don't you think? Well, yeah, probably should. Uh, we had some people show up anyway, if you yeah, remember. We had people show up regardless. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking to empty chairs, and they showed up, and, and God bless them. And they put money in the bucket, you know, <laughs> hallelujah for the bucket. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I think the way I'm looking at it, I think that we, we made some well-intentioned mistakes yes. way back when yeah. that surfaced when the pressure came, uh, right for a long time, preachers were said, you know, don't be legalistic, don't be hardcore, don't be, and uh, and and I think we took too much of that to heart. I really do believe that there, that we desperately needed to do some butt kicking and taking name that we weren't willing to do. I know, I know I felt that pressure. Well, we have, and we're going to talk in a later episode about, we're going to talk here with uh, Dr. Moeller, a guest, and we're going to talk individually after that about preaching today and the era, you know, the era of wokeism and all yeah. that other kind of stuff, and we will do that. But, you know, it, uh, it, 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 still, 
you know, getting people back, what I think I hear you guys saying and is that, you know, look, yeah, we'll go see people. You know, we can put teams together. That's, you know, what I was trying to do. We've talked about that with putting some people that there are people, there are some people in our church, you all know them, that everybody likes to see. That, you know, if they knock on your door, you want to see them. They're just likable, affable people. And putting them together to go see and say, okay, you know, need to, you need to come back. But if they don't, if they don't, and I really want young pastors, going back to what you were saying, Ken, you know, who are really hurting after this, who, you know, their feelings are hurt, they're, they're, they're down. And going back, you know, Bob, to what you said, which is you can't be a pastor who's down because that's going to bleed over into the congregation, right? I mean, that's, that's not going to sit well. That's not going to help you lead. And so, okay, we go see our people who have left, but we need to recognize that God does separate, right, the weed and the tear. I mean, that's, that, that's what he does, and we have nothing to do with that, and we just have to move forward and reach new people. But reaching new people today, and we'll get more into the culture here in a bit, but, you know, when I was growing up, the idea was that the church grows, and I still think this is true, but the the primary model was it's through word of mouth, your people are your best evangelists, you know, and that's how the church grows. Then, you know, it became the website, and then it became, you know, your greeters, your parking ministry, and all that kind of stuff. Now it's, you know, you got to have your whole service online so people can watch it and feel comfortable and know what's going to happen and all the other kind of stuff. Um, where are we? Is it a combination of all of those things? Is it where, you know... Matthew, the thing that bothers me is the, the folks who are sitting at home, as Alice Kalak say, watching through their toes... Yep. And I'm talking about now the kind the, the folks who probably never come back, <clears throat> not the ones who may yeah. drift back. So the, the people who are still supporting the church will probably come back, the because uh, people like, they put their heart where the money where their heart is, and then, so mm-hmm. that that'll probably work out. I'm talking about the other the thing that I was I didn't do a good job of making clear is when is the last time you heard a sermon on hell? When is the last time you heard a sermon? Well, on, I preached them on but... Satan. <laughs> I've heard myself, but yeah, other than that, yeah. yeah. But I, I, what I'm saying is, these folks don't know they're going. To, they don't know what it is to be no, they don't. separated from the living God. And and the irony is that who talks about hell more than anyone in the Bible? It's Jesus. Yeah, but we didn't. We didn't do that very well. I'm talking primarily pointing at me yeah. and 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 those that I had influence on. And and I think we've got to reevaluate that a little bit. But it's seen it's as not a, wrong. And, it's we'll, not. and we'll get into this the next one because the culture is going to obviously push back on that. I mean, if you look at the polls, even the majority of evangelical Christians have a low view of they don't believe in hell, an eternal hell. Old Joe Dampier used to come to see me every once in a while, and he'd said, no, "Brother Scott, he had, had yeah. he had a big belly and a deep voice and." He, he would he would say your job is simple I aggravate the comfortable and comfort the afflicted yeah that's your job <laughs> that would, yeah. and I think he did it pretty well probably yeah but uh, we've seen you know and and we can get into this later because we need to wrap this episode up but we saw a revival break out at Asbury you know just you know down the road at Wilmore 
Um, I think Asbury made a mistake by kind of shutting it down. Um, I thought it was ironic that um, Asbury said, you know, we need to get back to classes learning the Bible and shut this revival down. I thought that was kind of strange. Um, But every great revival has begun with that. With D.A. Carson, you know, great professor said, you can't understand the good news until you understand the bad news. Now you're talking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think think, uh, one of the things we wanted to talk about here is how do we keep people in once they are a part of the church. I think uh, one of the primary motivators, whether we want to admit it or not, is fear. And fear can be a very positive motivator. Fear of God is over all through the the Bible. The fear of the Lord is beginning wisdom. Now, you get the top of the spiral that perfect love cast out fear. But if people are going back down that spiral, the last barrier is fear again. And and this fear of falling into the hands of the angry God uh, ought to motivate people. I think also to keep people, we need to tell them up front what is expected of them. And say, hey, if you're going to, we ought to make church membership more meaningful. Yeah. And say, if you're going to be a part of this church, we used to say, we expect in the beginning three hours from you every week, an hour of worship, an hour of Bible study, hour of service. Mm. And then I heard Ben Merrill say one time, the best shepherding program is involvement. Mm. If we can get people involved in some activity in the church, they feel uh, ownership. An ownership of it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a futurist, but I did predict something. As soon as I walked into church when we came back and we had those little uh, packages of communion, communion, yeah, I said, that's going to remain because it is so easy. You don't have to recruit any servers. You don't have to recruit any communion fillers. You don't have to recruit anybody to clean up afterward. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, I've not been in a church yet, so it's gone back to people passing communion and going yeah. the old way. It's easier, but we've lost the communion servers. Right. We've lost the communion fillers. We've lost the people cleaning up, and that's dozens of people who were formerly involved in the church. Right. And we better be careful about just leaving the impression that this is an audience rather than a participation. Very and good. Don, last time we were there, they said the reason so many young folks are leaving is they have no ownership in the church. Right. They're not participating, they're not involved, and we're starting to do something about that. I don't know how that's going to turn out, yeah. but I think he had a point. I really do. It, the involvement in some area that is more than uh, just showing up. And I like Bob's three-hour rule. I like that. I, I, I think that's, yeah, that's, a, that's very good. Ken, you want to, we're going to wrap up here. What do you have to say before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think there's a real need for a prophetic word mm-hmm. from the pulpit. These days, uh, more of a prophetic word, maybe less of a pastoral word. I think we need to put put the accent there. But the fact is, too, there's a lot of cynicism about fear, mm-hmm. using fear to motivate. And uh, I, I think that it's important to have a prophetic word, but also this uh, the emphasis that, that we saw as we walked in the office complex here at Southeast, one at a time, mm-hmm. the emphasis on relational evangelism and relational discipleship is critical. I think it resonates with this mm-hmm. this generation, and uh, and maybe it always has because we see it in Jesus. He, he was ex- very relational with yep. uh, the disciples. He reproduced himself in the twelve. That was a, the high priority of his ministry. One of the first things he did was call the, the disciples and begin to invest in them and teach them. So that model of 
life on life, relational discipleship, one at a time. It's it's there in the Gospels, uh, but I think it needs we need to shine a bright light on it in the contemporary in the contemporary church. So wrapping it up, what I hear from you guys is one: we're going to have to go back to the gospel, and we're going to have to preach the truth that yes, heaven is real, but so is hell, and it's eternal. Both are eternal, and we need to preach that, and we need to get people involved as soon as we can, uh, in some way, shape, or fashion. All right, folks. Well. We'll wrap up these episodes. Uh, again, I want to thank our sponsors, and I want to thank everyone here. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, and remember, if you want pastoral wisdom, you go to those who've had the experience. Thank you. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.